So what child is this? That's the question we're asking this month. What child is this? That, that magi would travel from so far away to come and bring gifts to a baby. Seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? I, I know when I was growing up, gift giving was, as a child, was, was sometimes easy and, and sometimes difficult. I have to say, buying a gift for my dad was always the hardest. <laughs> dad, what do you want? Oh, I have everything that I need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you got everything you need, Dad, but what do you want? I, I want for nothing. And it's like, oh, come on. And so he, we ended up giving him, you know, dress socks and tacky neckties. And, 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 and I'm sorry. Or gadgets, too, because you see, I'm a gadget guy. I, you might know that about me. I like electronics and gadgets. And so without knowing what he wanted, I just gave him what, what I wanted and thought maybe he would use it. But, but he didn't. And then... It was kind of a weird roundabout way of getting a toy for myself, but <laughs> I justified it. And I grew up and I thought, I'm never going to be that guy, right? But now my kids ask me, Dad, what do you want? Nothing. I, I want for nothing. I have, I have a wonderful wife and kids and, and I don't need anything. So, so now I'm expecting dress socks and tacky neckties. <laughs> Actually, I tell them I want a 65-inch. 4K OLED TV and fit right above the fireplace. But, but I've been informed that that won't fit down the fireplace, so I should take that off of my list. Yeah, I mean, that should come off of my list. So what is Christmas about, right? What is Christmas about? Sometimes we get caught up in the gift giving. And we're going to look at some wise men that gave gifts to Jesus. But see, it's about the birth of Christ. But what if your birthday, what if it was your birthday and everybody else got a present except for you? Isn't it funny how we celebrate the birth of Christ and we give each other presents? What if it was your birthday and everybody else gave a present to each other and you sat there and, and didn't get the TV? So I got to ask you, what are you giving Jesus on his birthday? What are you giving Jesus on his birthday? I mean, talk about the guy who has everything, right? Jesus, what do you want? I mean, come on. I grew up singing a song in Sunday school about he has the whole world in his hands. He literally has everything. And, and, and what am I supposed to give him? Uh, anything that I would want to give him, he already gave to me. So it just seems ridiculous. How could I give the God of the universe something? I don't know what it is that I could possibly give him. But we're going to look at what three wise men gave Jesus. And maybe in the midst of this, we can discover what he's really after from us. What the best give is, gift is that we could give the Son of God. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In verse 1 it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. He has come to worship him. So it says some wise men or some magi. In fact, if you listen to some Christmas carols, it calls them kings in their own right. Like we three kings of Orient are. That whole song is about how these three wise men but the Bible doesn't say that there was only three wise men. But there was three gifts. 
So oftentimes we equate the three gifts to being three wise men. But history would go to show that they think they were somewhere in the minimum of three, but in the maximum of 12 of these magi type people, these these wise people that were becoming across the desert. Now, these guys roll in style. So it's not just like three dudes on a beat up old camel trucking through the desert. They got some nice gear, right? They probably have nice camels. In fact, if they are who they are, if they're able to be in a position to give gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh, very expensive gifts, it would indicate that they have some level of wealth. And so historians say that they probably came with an entourage. They probably had a whole crowd with them as well. They probably, I, I think of it like in Aladdin. You know, where Prince Ali's rolling into town and the genie says, you know, hey, you can't just roll in by yourself. You got to have an entourage. And so I'm picturing like dancers and flippers and trumpet singers and, you know, elephants and crazy stuff. And that's probably not exactly how it went down. But I do know that they would have traveled with some sort of crowd. Because if three dusty old dudes came trekking across the desert, it's highly unlikely that they would have got an audience with the king of the Jews that was there, Herod the king. They would have not gotten an audience with them if it was just three dusty dudes. But you got a whole entourage of people representing a mad, the magi, the wise men. They got an entourage with Herod the king. They got an, a, a, a table with Herod the king. They got an audience with Herod the king. So some depictions called them kings, but they were considered magi. You see, the magi were considered sometimes magicians or even spiritual advisors. Here's the thing about magi, is that you see them all through the Old Testament in in, in different contexts. In fact, when Daniel was serving at the pleasure of a different king who was not a Jew, he had a, a host of people that were wise men, magi. Pharaoh, when Pharaoh had Moses, he had his own set of magi, magicians. He had his own set of spiritual advisors that were there. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, if you, if you broke it down into the, the terms that would have been in the Old Testament, even in the Jewish people, what the outsiders would have called magi, the Jewish people would have called prophets inside of their camp. In fact, the prophets were the ones who spoke spiritual truth and wisdom into the king's ear. They had the voice of the king. They had the influence over the king. So magi had influence over kings and kingdoms. The fact that there were multiple magi would have been a big deal. It would have been a big deal. See, here's the thing. The magi weren't kings. The wise men weren't kings. In fact, the prophets in the days of old weren't kings. But if you watch, even like Samuel went and found David and anointed him to be king, you see, they were the king makers. They were the king makers. So, so check this out. They came a long distance with a single purpose, which is to worship this new king. So verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. I could imagine if you're the king and these magi, the kingmakers, spiritual advisors from, from faraway lands are coming into your territory saying, we're going to worship the newborn king, the natural-born king of the Jews. That would be a direct threat to his authority and position and title. And so, so check this out, right? So, so, he, so he gets a little bit anxious, right? But Herod, you see, he was a Roman. He wasn't Jewish. But he was born into a politically powerful family. At the age of 25, he became a governor over Galilee. 
And of course, he moved up. His campaign team was phenomenal. They, they had grassroots ground movements, door knock and get the vote out. And he got from governor up into ruling one of the four districts inside of the Jewish area. Eventually, he worked his way up and became the ruler over all four districts of the Jewish thing. The word on the street was not, it wasn't Herod the king. He, they called him, the word on the street was they called him king of the Jews. That was his street name, if you will. So as the person who was called king of the Jews, to have Magi, the kingmakers, walking into his door saying, we've come to worship the new born king of the Jews, it doesn't get much more direct than that. And Herod has some slight insecurities. He, he maybe had some self-confidence issues. I, I, don't, I don't know what was going on. But, but here's what we do know, is that he killed anybody who made, became a threat to his throne. He killed anybody that became a threat to the throne. In fact, two of his sons, he thought two of his sons were conspiring to overthrow him and take his throne. So he went and killed his two sons. And then, if, you know, he killed both their baby mamas too because he had a lot of different wives, kids from different mamas. And so he went and killed his baby mamas. He went and killed his, his, his son's wives, his son's kids, his son's pets. He went and killed them all. There's just blood in the street. And, and so word on the street was when Herod gets his position threatened, people die. That was the reputation. That was the word on the street. And so now you've got Magi walking in saying, we're here to anoint, to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Herod gets restless. The people get restless. Because when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And they all know this. They know, oh no, the Magi showed up. People are going to die. They, they had this understanding that this was not going to end well for people in their town. So all of Jerusalem was troubled. And what I find interesting is that Jesus and Herod, they had a couple things in common. But one of the things that they had in common was this. They both believed that there was nothing that bloodshed couldn't solve. Herod wanted to shed everyone else's blood to protect his skin. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to shed my blood to protect you. There was a commonality there. There was a commonality there. Herod wanted his throne. He wanted to preserve his front throne. Jesus didn't want his throne. He didn't understand that. Jesus just wanted his heart. And he wants your heart today. His motivation hasn't changed. He's still the same today, yesterday, tomorrow. Jesus is unchanging. He's still here and he's still after your heart. And so as we continue in the scripture, in verse 4, it says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, Jesus was, where Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Hey, go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, let me know, so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had, been, had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Wait, they went into a house. I thought he was born in a manger, in a stable. He was. You see, we like to put our wise men in the little nativity set that's sitting off to the side. But, but the reality is that they showed up maybe up to two years later to, to come present these gifts. So every parent, imagine this. You have a two-year-old. And he's already got a bit of a God complex. And then Magi show up and start worshiping him. As a parent, like, what do you, come on. I don't know. I'm sure Jesus didn't ever throw a temper tantrum, right? He was without sin. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. It doesn't say. So what's the one gift that Jesus wants from you that only you can give? You see, Jesus wants this. He wants the same thing that the wise men gave him. Your worship. That, that's what he wants. He wants your worship. And so today we're going to look at three reasons of why you should give your worship to Jesus this Christmas season. The first one is this. We want to worship Jesus for who he is. We want to worship Jesus for who he is. In Matthew chapter 1, in the previous chapter, it says that Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us in that day and age would have been pure heresy. And this is what I mean is, is leading up to this point, you weren't able to see the face of God. You weren't actually able to be with God. Some of the closest moments of people to be able to be in the presence of God. Moses had a moment, it says, where, where he was up on Mount Sinai and he hid, in, hid inside of a, 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 a little divot in the rock and, and shielded his face and God walked by and he was able to look at the backside of God for a moment. In, in the Old, Old Testament days, they, they were able to um, go visit the presence of God, but they had to tie a rope around their ankle when they went behind that veil, that curtain that was in the temple. Because, because if they were able to get back in there and, and, and be in the presence of God, it wasn't for everybody. It was just for the select few. But if they misstepped or if they touched something or if something went wrong, they tied a rope around their ankle so they could drag their body out because they would have been smitten dead. So the idea that God is with us and amongst us would have been a bit of heresy at the time. It would have been a, a foreign concept. It would have been something that was outside of the understanding of, of what they had experienced to this point. So Jesus, as God is with us every day in the ins and outs, is a revolutionary concept. And so Jesus, who is he? What, what child is this? And so when you look and you see what the history was, it says that, that they called him multiple names, but they said he was the door. He was the gate, the good shepherd, the living bread, living water. He was the alpha and the omega, the, the first and the last, the lion of Judah, the, the lamb of God, Emmanuel. He was God with us. So we worship Jesus for just who he is. The second thing is this, we worship, we worship Jesus for what he has done. We worship Jesus for what he has done. He is, he is uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 1, it says that he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life. We worship Jesus for what he has done, not because of anything that we've done, because of what he has done. We worship Jesus because of what he's done. Jesus hasn't done anything for me, one might say. I mean, what has he actually done? There are some that, that just aren't aware or they don't acknowledge what Christ has done for them. If you know Jesus, then you know what he's done for you. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't fully understand what he's done for you. You see, Jesus completely and totally and 100% changed my life. He took me from a hurting heart and he healed my wounds. You see, I, I was broken inside and he brought healing to a heart that was broken beyond repair. And for many in the room, I see heads nodding and some amens coming because I know that for you that resonates. You're like, yes, Jesus has brought healing into my life in a level that no other man could do. He has forgiven me for stuff from stuff that I really don't want you to know about. And I'm grateful that he has forgiven me of that. But you know he wants to do that for you too. He wants to forgive you for the things that nobody needs to know about. But he wants you to know him and heal your heart in a new way too. If you haven't been changed by him, it might be because you don't really know him. You know, we, we, we center our church around a few different things and one of the things is that we have a hope that everyone here would know God. Not just know about God, but actually know God. All through the scripture, there's, there's a clear path of, of, of spiritual growth and maturity. And it actually comes out in four steps. And it's something that we center our church around. We, we want people to know God. And when you really know God, you start to find freedom, which is our second one, find freedom. From there, we want you to discover your purpose and then make a difference in the lives around you with the purpose that God has put inside of you. And, and so to know God is the first step. And maybe this Christmas season is a time where you need to say, you know what, I know about you, but I don't know you. And you can make a decision in your heart today to say, you know, today's the day that I'm going to pursue to know God, not just know about him. The third thing we're going to see here about worshiping Jesus for what he will do. I'm going to close the sermon in this point here if the band wants to come. So worship Jesus for what he will do. In Ephesians 3, it says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, the Magi, they traveled many, many miles to worship a baby who hadn't done anything yet. Jesus hadn't done anything yet, and yet they traveled a great distance at great expense. Sometimes we need to worship Christ forward in faith. Sometimes we look at our natural circumstances and our natural situations, and we say, he's not doing anything for me right now. You know, sometimes we treat God like a genie in a bottle, don't we? I rub the Bible, say a magic phrase, God comes down and does something for me. That's not how a relationship works. It's not like I can walk over and pat my wife on the head 
make a request, and she does something for me. I know, 65-inch TV, here I come, right? You know, that's not how a relationship works. But sometimes we get caught up in our circumstances and we think, well, because my circumstances aren't great, I can't worship God. I mean, if God was so good, why would my circumstances be like this? Listen, God is good all the time despite your circumstances. Sometimes your feelings aren't right. Your feelings are not the plumb line of truth in this world. Sometimes I feel like doing something that is wrong. Sometimes the right thing doesn't feel good. I'd love to worship God, but I can't because maybe my circumstances aren't the best. My my marriage isn't in the best place it could possibly be. Have you seen my bank statement lately? Because if there's another zero there, I would happily worship God. Maybe physically you're having some struggles or medically you're, you're wrestling with something. You say, well, if God were to heal me, then I would worship him. God deserves our praise regardless of our circumstances. And sometimes you have to worship him forward in faith. Because I want to say that the best is still yet to come. When I was a kid, I remember eating a, a big dinner at home. And, and we would start to clean up the plates and, and my mom would say, oh, save your forks, save your forks. And I knew what that meant. Save the fork means there's something coming later. I, I was hoping for maybe a pumpkin pie or, or maybe a slice of cake or an ice cream or a TV. And, <laughs> but I want to tell you today, although your circumstances may not look like you want them to look, I'm here to tell you today, save the fork. There's a better day coming. You're going to get through this obstacle that you're in. Your best is yet, is yet to come. There's still a brighter tomorrow. And even if you don't see it in your from the perspective that you're standing today, there's a brighter day tomorrow. So what do, you, what do you give the guy that has everything? The one that holds the whole world in his hands. It's the one thing that he can't make you give. It's the one thing that, that you have control over that God doesn't have control over. It's the thing that he created us for in the beginning. But if he makes us worship him, it's not real worship. We become robots. And he wants us to worship him out of honesty and out of genuine heart. He can't make you worship him. And if he made you, it wouldn't be worship. So the one thing that you can give him that he can't give himself is your worship. So in view of who Christ is, what he has done, what he will do, I will bring him a gift. And I am that gift. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. More than worshiping with a song, which we're going to do in just a moment, we should continue to worship him all through the week with our actions with what we say and what we do. Everything we do should bring glory to him. So come on, church, will you stand with me as we sing this last song? The prayer team is going to be getting in position at this time. If you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, they're going to be on either side of the stage ready to pray with you. It could for anything that you have in your life. 
But come on, let's sing this one last song together. grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great week.